The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Green Scene on The Pat Kenny Show with AIB, working alongside Irish communities towards a low carbon future. We pledge to do more. And equally, jellyfish demonstrate that you don't need a brain to learn. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about the sensitive soul that is the gorilla. And we're joined by Dr. Ruth Freeman, Director of Science for Society at Science Foundation Ireland. Ruth, good morning. Good morning, Pat. So the gorilla has a sensitive soul. It does. It's a sensitive creature. And it was World Gorilla Day last week, so we thought it would be nice to talk about them. And, And this is new research that really looks at how gorillas look after each other and how that gives them great resilience. And I think it's very interesting because, you know, these these are our closest, close, some of our closest relatives in the animal kingdom. Uh, and, and this is work um, from the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. Lots of people will have heard of Diane mm-hmm. Fossey, who spent decades studying mountain gorillas in Rwanda. And what they looked at was what happened to gorillas when they had a very tough early childhood. And we know from looking at other social animals like ourselves or hyenas or elephants or chimpanzees, usually an early trauma tends to shorten lifespan and have yeah. generally poorer outcomes. So so how do they do define trauma for an ape? Yeah, so they, they I mean, things that we, we could probably resonate with as well. So being orphaned, losing a mother or father, uh, losing a, another infant uh, in your social group around you, having a lot of turnover. So when people just move along all the time from your group, uh, not having anyone your own age around you, or in fact, having a sibling that's really close in age to you yeah. can, can be seen as a bit of trauma. So these were the things they looked at. And they looked back over 55 years worth of data from this incredible study that's been going on in Rwanda. And they looked at over 250 different gorillas to see what happened to the gorillas' lifespan when they experienced these trauma. And what they found was that if the gorilla survived the trauma, sort of made it to age six, in fact, those that had gone through trauma seemed to do better. They, in fact, lived longer. So this is the, the old mantra, whatever doesn't kill you makes you strong. Exactly. But but it's not what we see in other species, which is why I think it's so fascinating. And as you say, some of it could be what doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger. But also, if you are strong to begin with, you are more likely to make it through these early adversities. So those that make it kind of to age six, despite these factors, mm. could, could have a very good genetic makeup and, and anyway... Um, but the question of if you had one, two, three, four, five, or all six of these traumas, how did you do? Exactly. Well, well, in fact, those that had all six lived even longer. And particularly for men, the male gorillas, they lived up to 70% longer than their peers that had very few of these early crises. Um, and, and one of the hypotheses that's been put forward is about the unique social structure of mountain gorillas. And I think it's something that's worth thinking about because these communities are incredibly tight-knit. So they have these very sort of hierarchical and strict social structures in some ways, but they're very flexible. So unlike chimpanzees and possibly ourselves, they aren't that territorial. So mountain gorillas will allow other groups to overlap with their territory. They will also be very quick to bring in and look after someone who is an outsider. And if they fact, find an orphan, exactly, they will adopt. adopt it. And, and not only that, they will even a, a, an orphan that loses both parents will be brought very much into the senior part of the group. It will spend more time with the senior your male in the group. Uh, So the high ranking ones are the ones that bring in outsiders and give them status and look after them. Um, They also, of course, now, thankfully, are in protected national parks because they're vegetarians. They also Mm. means that if you're on your own, you can probably
be managed quite well. You can pick lots of food around. You can pick leaves and plants. Mm. So, um, you know, there's even an example of a little gorilla who at four lost both his parents. His name is Titus. His father, his brother were killed by poachers. His tribe was totally shuffled around. You know, there was a whole load of trauma and sort of political unrest when he was young. His mother and sister left. They fled and went somewhere else, leaving him completely alone. But he did very well. He made new bonds with the senior gorillas in in the place that he found himself with. And he ended up siring more gorillas than any other. He's the dad of more gorillas than anyone we ever know. How long did he last? And he lived 35 years, which is a very good innings. Very good age for a gorilla. Hmm. Now, uh, the next topic we have is about jellyfish who don't have a brain. Jellyfish don't have a brain. I mean, as anyone knows that looks at them, they're sort of jelly, well named uh, uh, water. They're, They're basically an enlarged plankton. They've no bones. They've no brain. But a new study from researchers in Denmark has suggested, as often these studies do, that maybe there's more going on with jellyfish than has met the eye initially, particularly in terms of what they can learn. So they looked at a very tiny little jellyfish. They're only about a centimetre long, called a Caribbean box jellyfish. And, and they live in areas where there's mangrove trees, so mm-hmm. trees that live in salt water and the roots go down into, into the water. And, and these little jellyfish, as do others, they have 24 eyes going around them. And while they don't have a brain, there's little clusters of nerve around each eye called Ropalia. And they decided to see, well, what are these nerves actually doing? So so they took a number of these little jellyfish and they put them in circular tanks and they had three different groups. So they had one group that was in a tank with very distinct black and white stripes around the edge of the tank. One had grey and white stripes and the other tank was completely grey. So this was to try and mimic possibly the type of environment these jellyfish might be in where they have to swim around the roots of these trees. And what they found was those in the with the distinct black and white stripes never bumped into the side of the tank. So it was like like they knew you had to avoid black stripes. Those in the completely grey tank were constantly bumping into the side of the tank. They, they couldn't distinguish the edge of the tank from where they were swimming. But those with the light grey stripes initially bumped into the tank all the time. But over time, they gradually started to realise that these grey stripes did in, in fact represent a barrier. They were learning. And they were learning. So over about seven minutes, the number of times they collided with the wall went down by 50%. So not only did they learn, they learned pretty quickly <laughs> and they learned pretty well. And this is really fascinating because we always thought these ropalia, these clusters of nerves were just really about light detection, just a simple on-off switch, if you will. So it raises the kind of fascinating possibility, how few nerves do you need to create a learning circuit? Yeah. I mean, could it just be one? Could it be just one neuron? Yeah. That, um, the, the interesting thing, you know, about if you spend 10,000 hours learning tennis, uh, that you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll win Wimbledon yeah. sort of thing. But the idea that muscle memory, if you're playing in any sport, when you're really good, you're not thinking about actually making the kick or the stroke or whatever it might be. You're thinking of where you wanted to go and where your opponent might be. You take the stroke for granted Mm. and it's assumed the muscle memory is really in the brain, but maybe the muscle memory is in the muscle. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole nervous system, the human brain, it is fascinating and and there's clearly lots to learn Mm. still. Now, we want to talk uh, about something that's very topical and that is uh, the bed bug panic that's sweeping Paris as the Rugby World Cup rolls on. Yeah, no, this is something that's a really hot political topic in France at the moment, both because of the Rugby World Cup, but also because of the Olympics, which are due to be held in Paris next year. So this has been a bit of a social media sensation. People are saying they're spotting bed bugs in all sorts of places where you wouldn't expect to see them. So cinemas, on on the trains, um, 
not not all of these sightings have been verified. That's the first mm-hmm. thing to say. Um, and, and look, bed bugs have been a feature of big cities for many, many decades. You know, these are little small wingless insects that feed on the blood of humans. And yeah. um, they've always been around. But the, the numbers, they were always associated with kind of cramped living, dirty conditions, yeah. slums. And when you magnify them, they're not pretty. They're not pretty. And I know it's a bit of a squeamish topic and it, it is very, very unpleasant if you come a- across them. But, you know, because of things like insect decides in, in the kind of 90s you know they were sort of wiped out but but of course what we this have now DDT DDT yeah but what we have now of course are the relatives the descendants of those bed bugs that survived DDT we've also stopped using some of those pesticides the other thing is that one of the one of the predators of the bed bug is the cockroach so with increasingly clean houses and we definitely don't tolerate cockroaches anymore that there's there's nobody there out to get the bed bugs so i mean these creatures they they are very difficult to get rid of. They can live for up to a year without feeding on human blood. So the problem is they can be they can be ensconced in various places yeah. and, and they don't if even if a place is empty, they can sit there and wait until there for is a, a year. human they, there. They, they for can, up to a year, yeah. You know, because cinemas um, in Paris they're they're not doing that well. So if yeah. there's one languishing on a cinema seat, it, yeah. it can hang around but, but for look, a year. The most likely place they are going to be are around the bed. They are well named. So 85% of all bed bugs will be within two metres of your bed if you have them in your house. And I think for anyone who's thinking about going to Paris, the key thing is not to bring them home. So what I would say <laughs> is, yeah, because that is the problem. They can come home to your house. They like fabric and natural fibres. So if, if I was going to Paris, what I would say is, you know, if you have a hard shell plastic case, bring that. Don't bring a soft cloth case. Yeah. I wouldn't leave my suitcase on my bed. I'd leave it as far away from the bed as I possibly could. And then when I came home, I would probably leave my suitcase in the hall. I wouldn't bring it straight up to my bed. I would unpack it there and wash and everything hot. Wash all your clothes oh. and fabrics hot temperature because that will get rid of them. And the other things, do check your hotel room if you're going over because you will see physical signs of these bugs. What are the physical signs? They leave signs? droppings. If they get knocked while they're full of blood, you'll see tiny little drops of blood stains. You can see little drops of feces. So they are visible. So I would check your room and yeah, try not to bring them home with you. And if you do end up bringing them home, you probably will need to get in a professional exterminator. They're incredibly difficult to get rid of. Apologies to all of you still having your breakfast. (laughs) Ruth Freeman, Director of Science for Society at Science Foundation Ireland. Uh, Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.